Welcome to episode six of Smuggling Hope. God doesn't believe in failure. Charles Edison, Thomas Edison's son, writes down in his book, The Electric Thomas Edison. Now one evening in December, the cry of fire echoed throughout my father's plant. Spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within moments, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records, film, and other flammable goods had gone up with a whoosh. When I couldn't find father, I became concerned. Was he safe? With all his assets going up in smoke, would his spirit be broken? He was 67. No age to begin anew. Then I saw him in the plant yard, running toward me. Where's mom, he shouted. Go get her. Tell her to get her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. Can you believe it? Rather than saying, oh God, what did I do to deserve this? 67 years I've faithfully lived my life and this is what I get in return. He says, hey son, get your mother. This is one unbelievable sight. Look at that fire. Edison's son continues. At 5.30 the next morning, when the fire was barely under control, he called his employees together and announced, we are rebuilding. One man was told to lease all the machine shops in the area, another to obtain a wrecking crane from the Erie Railroad Company. Then, almost as an afterthought, he added, Oh, by the way, anybody know where we can get some money? Later on, he explained, You can always make capital out of a disaster. We've just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better on these ruins. With that, he rolled up his coat for a pillow, curled up on a table, and with that, Thomas Edison fell immediately to sleep. Now, the fascinating thing about that uh, experience of Thomas Edison is that, believe it or not, after that fire that destroyed most of his patents at the time and a lot of his technology, the crazy thing is, is a lot of the technology we know Thomas Edison for, he got that after the fire. Most of the things that he profited from that we're familiar with today happened after that fire. So it's a remarkable experience and testimony of, of a man's ability to see opportunity amidst chaos and setback. So I always ask people, do you think God believes in failure? And oftentimes people are very committed to their answer of being that, yes, yes, indeed, God believes in failure. I want to point you to something. Maybe you haven't looked at it in a while, read it in a while, but it's there maybe in your house if you're a Christian person, and that's the Bible. If you open the, the Bible and you read the first goings-on, right, between the first people, Adam and Eve, well, that was a definite screw-up, right? That was a definite setback with Adam and Eve, right? They kind of blew it. And yet, what does God do with their screw-ups? It becomes the opportunity for Jesus Christ to enter the picture, enter the stage. God, to say to the world and all of humanity, well, you know what? I'm going to show you an even deeper understanding of how much I love you. I will become as you are. And, and you'll see this over and over and over again in the themes throughout the Bible with the people in the, in the Old Testament, the tribe of, of the Jewish people, the Israelites. You'll see that with even the apostles. You know, from beginning to end, human beings are screwing up, right? There's Adam and Eve. You know, you look, you know, there's, there's King David. You know, he was a murderer and he was a womanizer. You know, you've got Moses. He was a murderer. You can later on, you get you know, Paul, who was also a murderer. But these guys who are, I guess, not necessarily on the outside, outset, like looking like they're going to be awesome people, God sees opportunity in them to manifest his glory and his, and his wonder in people. 
And so one of the things I want you to look at is that even though human beings screw up, and we all do, God sees those, uh, you know, those experiences as opportunities to manifest and glorify himself. In Japan, they have this art of broken pottery they call kintsugi, where they take broken vessels of pottery, if you've ever seen this, and, and they, they, instead of getting rid of these pieces of pottery since they've been in the family for many, many years, what they do is they put the pieces back together in whatever way that they, they can put them, but to glue them together, they use molten gold. And so the greater the gaps in the pottery, the more gold that shows. And so the way I kind of view people is that God fills in the empty spaces that we kind of, in many ways, create through sin. But God and his grace, if we allow him, he permeates us and he kind of um, reflects himself more perfectly um, in our weakness, as St. Paul says. But God, you know, again, God is not about failure. Human beings are obsessed with failure. You know, and we're in many ways obsessed with judgment. But God, because his greatest quality is mercy, which many Christians really struggle with, that, that understanding of mercy, because God is a God of possibility and understands that we exist in time and we are here to hopefully be converted by God and, and be converted by love. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for, all from the comfort of your home. Now, there are two types of mindsets that we can take to things. And the one mindset is what we call a fixed mindset. So, for instance, if I say that, well, I'm just not athletic. I can't write, run in that marathon. I'm just not artistic. I'm sorry, I can't help you with your, you know, your poster. You know, I'm just not, I'm not good at math. And that's why, like, you know, I opt out of my, you know, my track for medical school or I, you know, choose not to do whatever. When I say that I, I, I'm not mathematically inclined or I'm not athletic, what I'm saying is that these qualities, I believe, are fixed. I either have them or I don't. And because I believe that I don't have them, I don't even aspire to gain them. So I don't challenge myself and I actually prove myself right. But it is a mindset that is full of limitations and essentially keeps us from doing things that are, are going to both make us grow, but they also are things that would give us confidence. So we stay in a kind of a narrow path. You see this clearly usually with very, like with, with kids where they're very, uh, you know, um, good at a sport or something. And so we praise them. And if you have a child and you're parenting and you want them to not have a fixed mindset, one of the key, key things there is to not praise a kid, uh, you know, for their outcome, meaning like their test score or their performance on the football field, because the outcome is not going to be helpful. When we do outcome uh, praise, like we're, oh, you're so, you're, you, you, you do so good in, in history, or you do, what we do is we make the kid, you know, believe that they're only inclined to that gift or that they're naturally inclined to it. And so they, they get away from the process of intelligence gaining or education or skill advancement. We want to praise kids for um, their, their effort. 
and uh, the, the process that they take on. And that's the second type of mindset, though, which is the advancement of a growth mindset. So growth mindset means that, you know, everything is learning. So when I, when I started the podcast today, I tried to explain this to you, is that God doesn't believe in failure. And God, if we we're going to, you know, present him with a mindset, or more importantly, I guess, if we could adapt to his mindset, is that one of a growth mindset. Everything is learning. Everything is an opportunity. He sees that we are always in need of a Savior, um, and we need to continue to respond to his grace. But we also Every, every potential setback, suffering, and difficulty offers us an opportunity to advance and to grow. And uh, that is very hard, though, for us to take that on because we, many of us believe failure is fatal, right? And we also are very much uh, victims of our own judgment about ourselves and other people. Now, to kind of illustrate how these two mindsets work kind of in tandem, I'll give you an example of a fixed mindset or at least a field that has taken on the fixed mindset. So, so the third leading cause of death in the United States, which it has been for many, many, many decades, and you can Google this, although it might take a little bit of time because they bury this, but the third leading cause of death in the United States is medical intervention. What that means is that somebody gets the medication wrong in the hospital, somebody does an error with uh, whatever the treatment is when you're, you're, you're seeing your physician or your surgeon, something goes wrong. And that kills about a third of the American people, right? So it's actually quite uh, dangerous in the hospital, believe it or not. So not a shocker, maybe, but for many people, I think they believe that, you know, people are not prone to error, but, but yet they are. Now, with the fixed mindset, why is this so heavily, like, uh, kind of seen in the medical field? It's because doctors are trained to be perfect. They have to be experts at the highest level, and they're responsible for people's lives. It is incredibly difficult to deal with that amount of pressure, and it is incredibly difficult to um, you know manage that environment, right? You cannot be wrong. To be wrong is to risk blame, and you know so people would rather just not be wrong. And because you can't be wrong, what happens is that um, you can't learn. Because learning means you have to admit that you are doing things incorrectly, and so across across the the you know the the whole uh, field in medicine, they have this problem where, again, you know people you know people are struggling with this fixed mindset, and the field itself oftentimes will provoke people uh, to a high level of anxiety because they have to be perfect all the time, and yet they know. Uh, that's just not reality. People don't sleep enough. People have their own issues. People get things wrong. Um, and, uh, but that is a fixed mindset, right? I have to be perfect. I have to have everything together. I am the expert. I know everything. Now, the other example I'll give you is from aviation, right? So aviation, you know, get in an airplane, it takes on what we would call uh, the growth mindset. The amount of errors and mistakes and setbacks, right, that that have afflicted the aviation industry are countless. Every time I go on an airplane, I'm reminded of the countless lives that have been lost in the effort to be able to fly safely. In every airplane, there is a black box. That black box records everything that goes on in that airplane. And every time an airplane goes down, there is a debrief and an evaluation and an assessment and essentially a plan on how to make airlines safer. Um, And because of that, it's way safer actually for us to be in an airplane than to be in a car, right? I think think it is five times safer actually to be in an airplane than a car. 
Um, but you'd have to maybe maybe look that up. Maybe it's only three times. Well, so, but I, Kyle, I mean, regardless, like you want to keep in mind, though, that that growth mindset, you know, these people have been learning. Safety didn't come natural. Safety came at a price, but everything has to do with learning. There is an advancement, right? Um, so how can we kind of avoid this uh, fixed mindset and take on this growth mindset? So you know, one of the big components with this whole idea of the fixed mindset is we really want to um, avoid becoming one-dimensional, right? So I'll give you an example of a celebrity who I think has reached the highest level of uh, professional performance that that you know I'm aware of, and that would be Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, um, he um, probably is maybe the best quarterback of all time. Hey, whether or not he cheated, you know that's that's not it's not for me to decide. But he does have I think five or six Super Bowl wins, and I would say objectively that he was at, at a time uh, you know probably the best uh, you know quarterback you know in the history of football. Whether that stays. Uh, as, as time goes by, I don't know. But here's the thing. What happens is that Tom Brady has to play football at a very high level. And his ability to make mistakes is not allowable, right? He cannot make errors, right? And so what Tom Brady did, though, was he put more and more and more of his uh, investment of his energy and his identity into football. And he had other dimensions to his life. He had money. He has children. He was married to uh, an objectively uh, uh, attractive woman because she was a supermodel, uh, you know. So he, he, he had other functions in his life. But Tom Brady became a one-dimensional person. It was football to the point where it has cost him everything, and he now is a pariah. Um, and so we want to make sure that our attention isn't on just one thing and that that one thing is not what's going to um, – you know, control our identity. Because if you are what you do when you don't, you don't exist. I'll say that again. When you are what you do when you don't, you don't exist, right? So he has to play football, even in this, even if he plays poorly, even if he becomes washed up in a joke, I don't know. Again, we want to make sure that we are not becoming narrow and one-dimensional in our life about anything. Um, And so sometimes it's easier to see in celebrities. Now, this is a huge component, right? Because most of us listening to this show, you want to be good at stuff, right? So if you're going to be good at something, it's going to take up time and investment. So what are we supposed to do? Because most people want to get very good or very highly skilled at something, which means that your attention starts to go in one direction. And, And there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. You know, I think that there's nothing wrong in cultivating expertise. I need you to understand, though, the more skilled you get at something and the more expert you get, the, the, the smaller, believe it or not, the, uh, the smaller the, the progression to confidence. So think about it. You know, Tom Brady doesn't compete with anybody. You know, the, the, the neurosurgeon who is one of five neurosurgeons on the East Coast who flies from hospital to hospital to do, uh, you know, brain surgeries, he doesn't really compete with anybody either. But remember, his work may not always give him confidence either because what is the progression? How is he to see that he's gotten more skilled? He has to be perfect everywhere. They look to him. They put him on talk shows. They make him write books. He has to be the smartest man in the room. Now, this is why you'll see a lot of uh, experts don't want to talk about things away from their expertise. You put somebody in front of a microphone or in a talk show, and you want them to talk about anything away from their area of expertise, they will shy away because it terrifies them. 
right? And, and in some ways, the pursuit of expertise can make you brittle. And so while you are growing in advancement, you know, to whatever you, uh, you, know, you want in terms of uh, expertise, you have to find a safe place to fail. You have to find a safe place to fail so that you can have real confidence, you know, robust confidence and real humility. Because remember, if you are the smartest person in the room, eventually, as we've seen with medicine, like I told you, the third leading cause of death is medical intervention. You know, eventually you have large blind spots. And because you're not learning, bad things have the ability to multiply, multiply quickly. Hi, it's Dan. I hope you're enjoying today's show. If you want to take your marriage to the next level, download a copy of my free ebook, Love Finds a Way. In it, you'll find six key principles to start strengthening your marriage. Just click the link in the episode description. Share it with others. Because Catholic marriages should be lighthouses in the dark times we live in. Now back to the show. Now, the first time that St. Benedict created his order, he did not uh, have it go very well, right? Uh, in fact, they tried to kill him. All the people that had signed up for his religious order actually tried to kill him. So he kind of had to scrap that whole thing. And then when he restarted and, and started his order a second time, he learned, right? He had a growth mindset. He learned and realized that he had to do something a little different. So the, the, the second time he formed his order, every person that signed up needed to pick a talent. They had to be a painter or they had to learn language or they had to be uh, you know, a, a, you know, a carpenter, or they had to be dedicated to learning music or transcribing documents or the Bible. So there was a need, even in the religious community, he recognized that as people tried to approach sanctity, right? Because holiness is not a plateau. It is a constant mountain. And so, you know, but the higher you go, as the Irish say, the higher the, di- the devil climbs, right? So people who climb into higher realms of spiritual life are more at risk for spiritual pride, right? Um, you know, so you know there's a need for them to have a foot in 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 the world and the humanity, right? So that that hobby, that talent, and in your life, if you want a growth mindset, we want to cultivate that talent, that hobby, that unitive, safe place to fail, so that you aren't just, you know, the expert. I'm not just the pastor or the super pastor. I'm not. The, just the doctor, or I have to be super mom, or I have to be, you know, the, you know, Mr. Athletic, or I have to be this person, I mean, whatever it is, whatever title you hold that you think that you're so important, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. We need humility. Otherwise, again, we cannot integrate all of the parts of ourself, and then we start to disintegrate. One of the questions I love to ask myself periodically, and I ask my clients is, if my kids were asked, what does your dad do for fun? What would they say, right? If your kids were asked by a teacher or another family member, what does mommy do for fun? What does daddy do for fun? Make sure that it's number one, something that you're proud of, something you want to probably share with them, even if they're not interested in it. And make sure that again, like it's something that, you know, that, that makes sense, right? You know, what does mommy do for fun? And remember, you know, a hobby isn't, well, mommy goes and, and uh, you know, you know, she, she uh, you know, takes naps, you know, you know, or what does your dad do for fun? Well, he watches football. Th- those aren't hobbies. Not to say that those aren't fun, 
but those aren't hobbies. Those aren't talents. And so, remember, we want to make sure that we're, we're being able to continue to grow in advance. Because we do not want to be one-dimensional as people, right? Whether you're a, you know, a, a man, a woman, whether you're in a marriage, whether you're in a religious order, whether you're a priest, you know, we don't want to be one-dimensional. All of, the, all of the saints have hobbies, every single one of them, right? And even Jesus himself had the ability to create with his own hands. And again, you know, what is it that you have a desire to get good at? And so one of the things is you kind of try to figure out like, well, what is my hobby or whatnot? Uh, one component is to figure out what you desire. What do I desire to get good at? What is it that I actually have an interest in? Because whatever you do, it needs to fulfill some level of desire, right? So whether it, it has to do with outdoors, whether it has to do with music, whether it has to do with photography, uh, but start putting yourself in a closer proximity to your interests, your curiosities, and your desires and saying yes to those things. So far as the, those places and people and events that you desire and are interested and curious about, that they advance you in virtue, okay? Because remember, what desire does is it increases our interest in sacrifice, right? So let's say, for instance, I desire to someday play a piece of acoustic guitar music because I heard a cool song and I always wanted to play it. And so I have that desire and now I will sacrifice and I will play 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes every other day to learn those chords, to learn the, the, that music because I have a desire. And then by the end, my identity has changed. I am now a guitarist, but I wasn't in the beginning. It's the desire and the transformation through that process that makes me a guitarist. We do not want to be one-dimensional, right? There are so many components to us, right? And if you look at the, 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 the call to holiness is a call, a call to fullness of life. So we need not be afraid of desire, but we need to be able to channel it. And a lot of times it has to do with that we do not have this growth mindset. We avoid the things that are difficult because, well, I, I, I'm not, I, I never took lessons of guitar when I was a kid or, you know, um, I, I, I have never done boxing before. I'm 40 years old. Why am I going to get into this now? Or, you know, I, I've never really cooked sushi before. This is, I don't even know how to do this. I've never really made tea. You know, okay, well, whatever it is, but you can learn it. Remember, you can learn anything. And now in the first time in history with the advancement of the internet, the almighty internet, you can learn whatever you want. And if you don't, well, that, that's kind of on you. I think the bigger thing has to do with figuring out what you desire and starting to make sure that you uh, pursue it. Now, with a hobby, it needs to be connected to desire. But the other thing is, is it has to be measurable. You have to be able to see progression. That's why I like watching football is not a hobby. It's entertainment. And maybe it's even leisure, but it's not a hobby. It's not a skill. Remember, as I play the guitar, I'm going to see my skill advance. I'm going to see myself play more, and that's going to give me real confidence. And now if I play guitar and nobody knows about it but me and my family, and I work and I have to do my job as a therapist or whatever, well, when I go to work, people think I'm an expert, but I can be more relaxed and more integrated as a professional because I have other dimensions to my life that give me confidence. Because when I show up to my office, people need me to be on point. They need me to be able to solve their problem, be a professional, and be able to access the, the knowledge that I have. And if I'm too tense, if I'm too serious, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I will have blind spots. That's just the way it is, right? And, and so we see this 
you know, in every field, athletics to medicine. But it is so hard to fail. And that's why, like, for the most part, we need to find a safe place to do that. I don't want you failing as a teacher. I don't want you failing in those clutch moments as a parent. I don't want you failing when you're performing surgery, uh, you know, doing like complex, uh, you know, uh, you know, equations, doing whatever it is that you do on a daily basis professionally. That stuff is serious. But we're ridiculous. We're all ridiculous. But we take ourselves so serious. Please don't take yourself so serious because you'll lose your humanity. When I go to see a, a person who works in a bank, I want to see a human being. When I get pulled over by an officer because I was I, I was not speeding, you know. Uh, but if I get pulled over, I want to meet a human. I, I don't want to meet someone who is, you know. Again, I, when I when I go to see my physician, my my dentist, my 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 kid's teacher, right? I want to meet a human being. And human beings, we need humility and we need real confidence. And so, but remember, like getting that growth mindset. It comes much more easily when we have that hobby, when we have that place where we draw power from and we draw an identity that is based in, in, in many ways, you know, um, humility and uh, interest and desire. And it, it connects us to the person we want to be. So many years ago, you know, I, my, with my first daughter, like she was having a rough night for whatever reason. And uh, I woke up and I had insomnia. And I remember... I was in my apartment with my wife and I was watching TV for whatever reason. I was holding my daughter and I watched the animal planet. You know, they've got these Australian people on. They all sound like they're a little bit under the influence. And so I was listening to this guy talk about the albatross. Right. And he was going on about the albatross is, is the largest bird, the largest winged bird in the world, I guess. Right. And it was telling me the sad story about the albatross, about you know, how the albatross, they lay their eggs on these islands. These islands are, you know, basically cliffs that jut out of the ocean. And after the hatchling, the, the albatross baby is about two weeks old, roughly, I guess, a teenager or some sense, the parents just abandon the poor kid, right? And so this albatross lives on a cliff by itself, somehow foraging for food alone as a teenager, and it has to learn how to fly. And it looks ridiculous. And so I watched in this program as, you know, they showed me these multitude of clips of the albatross going down these little stone runways of these cliffs, right? And it, and it would get to the end and it would try to take off and then it would fall on its neck. Right? And then it would do it again. It would, it would, you'd watch the albatross and you'd watch it run down this little stone runway, jump off these rocks to try to fly and bust its face over and over and over again, day after day, hour after hour. And I almost felt bad for these things. And I was like, these things shouldn't even fly. There's something wrong with them. There's something really wrong with this bird. But, you know, I watched and as the, uh, you know, the Australian dude explained you know, after so many repetitions, the, the bird does take off. And the first time the bird takes off, it flies 500 miles. 500 miles this bird flies after its first, when it first flies, its first flight. And the reason why the bird falls, even though it doesn't know, because obviously it, it's not aware, is the bird falls in many ways because it needs to condition its its wing strength. It's almost as if the bird has to do a push-up 
to start to condition its wings and muscles for what they call dynamic soaring, which is what the bird is designed for. The bird is designed for dynamic soaring, which is what you'll see seagulls do and different birds that are uh, primarily over water. They, 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 can, they have that skill. But that bird is so big that it really can't learn in a normal way. It actually has to learn by getting up off the ground over and over again. And that movement up off the ground is like strengthening its wings. And so as I tell you that, I, I go back to that because all of us feel at times that we're falling down or we're falling into, you know, some kind of trouble or we're having a setback or we're having a problem or we're like with Thomas Edison, we're having a fire. But I want you to think that it's an invitation to growth. It's always an invitation to growth and to meet Christ, to meet Christ move through us, to meet Christ in the people that will minister to us, you know, to, to meet Christ in what he's put in our hearts through desire. And, but you need to get up off the ground. You need to realize that you are made for more than your mistakes. And so, you know, find a hobby. Take on the mindset of God that everything is, is learning. God offers us mercy so we can get off the floor, so we can get back to work, get back to confession, get back to what you need to be pursuing to be the best priest, father, mother, layperson, boyfriend, girlfriend, son, daughter. Get off the ground and realize that you know, you're not stuck. And so I, I hope you've enjoyed today's uh, presentation. And keep sending me your, uh, your, your uh, questions and uh, feedback. And I appreciate you sharing the podcast and listening to it. And uh, I hope you can take what you've learned today and uh, you know, um, spread hope wherever you can. Smuggle it into every corner of your workplace, into your marriage. And especially smuggle hope into your kids' minds because kids are given a fixed mindset. And they need to know that everything is learning. And if you're a parent, you need to know that everything is learning because you got to condition your kid to deal with reality. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life. Now, welcome back to the B-Sides, where I will answer the questions from the audience and keep sending me your questions, either directly to my email at dlawsonpsych at gmail.com, or you can just send me a message through the, the uh, video or the voice message link on the podcast. So the question today was, how is it that we can help manage and parent our kids, protect them from the culture? Um, how is it that we can best do that? I mean, that probably will be its own podcast episode, um, probably needs to be. But uh, to, to make a, a general uh, approach at that, if you're a parent and you're listening to this podcast, the first rule of parenting I always go back to is really keep your kid alive, right? Which again, most of us do, and we have to do that till a kid reaches about four years old. Hopefully that's when they're less uh, trying to kill themselves, right? You know, kids are learning how not to electrocute themselves or you know, doing crazy stuff running in the street. But after that, as a parent, from the time they're four till the time that you're gone, you know, right? So even into adulthood, 
Your role is to help help prepare that child for reality because you love the child. And if you love the child, you have to train the child to be able to, you know, uh, you know, handle reality, handle reality. And one of the big things is to increase in responsibility. That, that the two words that break up responsibility, response and ability, the ability to respond and the ability to respond to reality. Now, if you do not understand the nature of reality, right, because, you know, then I don't think that you're probably even interested in this podcast. But if you're trying to parent your kids and you see that there's something maybe a little off with the culture and the way that it's affecting children and, and, and family life, well, then maybe this makes more sense. And so with kids, one of the big things is you cannot protect them from reality. You, you have to make your children able to change the culture. They have to be prepared to change the culture, culture, right? Or you have to be aware of the fact that the culture will change them. And so you have to have uh, pretty uh, direct conversations about things that are age appropriate. One of the best ways you can kind of pr- protect your children is to give them basic responsibilities at home. Preventing your kids from being able to do their laundry, make their own food, you know, um, having some types of chores that advance, right? You remember, like, you know, kids can do things. We live in a world where we, we have 14, 15, 16-year-olds that don't do their laundry. We've got 30, 33, 36-year-olds that live in their parents' basement. We've got people that are afraid of each other. They're afraid of socialize, socializing, you know, at school, at work well into adulthood. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that they're not, they don't have that ability to respond to reality. That responsibility was stripped from them because they had comfortable lives. Remember, no struggle, no character. But if you love your kids, you provide them with adequate responsibility that's fit for their age. I don't know what your kids are capable uh, capable of, but remember, you know, a four-year-old might be able to help, you know, feed the, the cat every day, right? Um, or, you know, help set the table a little bit. You know, certain kids can, you know, put away the dishes, clean the dishes. You know, you know the, the whole idea that a kid's job is to be a kid, I know this is summer, but the idea that a kid's job is to be a kid, that will victimize your child because they will get a weird relationship to reality. So uh, on average, when they do research, believe it or not, you know, um, parents say yes to their kids 80% of the time and no 20% of the time. I'll say that again because maybe it caught you off guard. Parents, on average, say yes to their child 80% of the time and no 20% of the time. Now, I don't know about you, but my life as a grown adult man with kids and a marriage, life says no to me about 80% of the time or more. And maybe it says yes to me 20% of the time. You know, maybe, right? Life isn't about like going to Disney World every day. It's about growing up. And so if you're parenting your kids, you're teaching them about the world. If you're a person of faith, then that's a layer of reality that your kids have the privilege to to, to have access to. Remember, the spiritual life is at a higher level. It's and people talk about it like as if like the, the that it's almost like the tooth fairy, like Jesus is the tooth fairy. Well, Jesus is actually like a historical figure that you have to figure out what he's about, because he's actually a real person. But the spiritual realities, those are things that always are reflected by the natural order. They're not, they're not new, right? And they're not like something we just generated or religion generated. 
Um, it's something that we've come to understand through uh, the history of humanity and revelation through, uh, you know, uh, the practices of faith and, you know, uh, you know, as revealed through Jesus Christ, you know, and, and the, the people of Israel too. So, Again, you teach your kids about reality, you prepare them for reality. When you teach them things, you explain why, and why isn't because I said so. If you're telling a kid who's over eight years old, well, why can't I do this? Well, because I said so. That doesn't work, especially if you've got a smart kid, which you probably do. It doesn't work. You can't just tell people, well, because I said so, because I'm your parent. The thing is, is if you want your child to be able to take on your ego, to be able to think like you when you're not around, they need to understand how you experience reality. They need to understand why as it relates to reality. So case in point, if I've got a five-year-old and the five-year-old says, you know, dad, why do I have to brush my teeth? Well, you have to brush your teeth. I want you to brush your teeth because if you don't brush your teeth, little holes will form. And if your teeth, you know, and then your teeth will hurt or they'll rot out and you'll lose them and you won't be able to eat certain foods. Or before that, people just will think your breath smells and they won't want to come close to you or they won't want to listen to you. And you might not even have many friends or they might pick on you and say that you're the kid with stinky breath. And I don't want that for you. So I want you to brush your teeth twice a day. That's way more effective than saying, well, because I said so. Or saying something like, well, you don't be gross. No. The kid needs to learn how to think about reality in order to respond to reality. So since we have 40 years, 60 years, 20 years of reality or experience of reality, we always want those decisions and those directions to be conformed to that, right? It doesn't have to be super complicated, right? But you also shouldn't be afraid because remember, your job is to train your kid up for reality. Not by giving them nice, you know, vacations and nice education or making them have warm and fuzzy feelings. That's ridiculous. Life is really difficult. Life is incredibly difficult. And your kids, just like my kids, just like you and me, will suffer. But the thing is, they need to know what to do when they suffer. And they need to know why. And they need to do it for the right reasons. But they need to be prepared for reality. So remember, as you parent them, you need to give them an understanding of reality the culture, for the most part, as I've said in, in prior uh, conversations on this podcast, is very shallow. It really has to do with feelings, and that's why people are so easily manipulated and so confused because there is no uh, centralized understanding of reality. It's all what you feel and what you think. Um, so one of the big things that you can do is have conversations, right? Don't be shy about them. Um, there are multitudes of other resources depending on the the issues that you're really you know, worried about regarding the culture, but you cannot and you do not want to parent through fear and nervousness or judgment. You need to parent with joy and hope. And that is a huge thing because your kids need to see you and you know, your family hopeful and joyful and completely in contrast to this world that is afraid and obsessed with pleasure and obsessed with dominating each other and you know, um, really just negative and complaining. So hopefully this is a good jump off or starts us off with more conversations about the, uh, the about the, the culture and, um, you know, uh, the need for parenting amidst some of this chaos. But I hope you found this helpful today. And like, you know, please uh, continue to send me your, your questions and your feedback and go smuggle some hope into your family.